Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Who could have predicted that weekend in the Premier League as Liverpool go eight points clear at the top of the table? We'll dissect all of that and more in this week's Gagapod. David Wiener with you, joined by former Socceroos captain Paul Ocon and former Premier League striker Michael Bridges. So much to talk about. Let's get right into it. Well, Paolo, Bridgie, great to see you both again. We had you here on Scores on Sunday in the morning on the weekend, but the real drama unfolded Sunday night into Monday can you believe what we witnessed in the, the latest twist in the title race, Bridgie? Well, it's great to be here, Dave. I absolutely love looking forward to this podcast show. I've got to be honest with you, it's the highlight of my week. And <laughs> You do plug it all the time on air, which is, which is fantastic. Mate, I love great it. You promoter. come in, you can just you know, be, be yourself, relax, a nice, nice relaxed atmosphere, and we can talk about the beautiful game. And it was so refreshing to see Newcastle United get the job done over Manchester United because... Mel McLaughlin was in the studio with us on the Sunday. She was talking it up. We offered her a box of tissues. And guess what? We told you so, Mel. What a result. And even better and more satisfying for that was to see it was a local boy playing alongside his brother in the Longstaff Brothers that got the goal. And it was the young boy, Matty, that I witnessed play in the Soccer Sevens in Hong Kong from the same area. And the DNA, the, refresh, the, the freshness of their interview after the game was magnificent. Brilliant. What did uh, what picked your highlight on Sunday night, Paolo? Yeah, look, the defeat of Man City at home by Wolves. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, we all got that wrong. Yeah, totally unexpected. Um, but in the end, uh, when you don't take your chances and you get caught on the counter, which is exactly how Wolves scored uh, both both their goals, um, very disappointing because it means that Liverpool now, as we all know, uh, eight points clear. Uh, and I think the surprising thing, uh, and the good thing if you're a Liverpool supporter, which, Bridgie, you're not a Liverpool supporter, are you? <laughs> nope. Yep. Yep. If you're a Liverpool supporter, is that they're actually not really, really in top form Liverpool. And they're still undefeated and they have an eight-point lead. So when they have... Uh, they're sort of, I think, going through their um, part of the season where it's, they're not playing as well, but they're still winning football games, which is very, very important. No doubt somewhere they will slip up along the way. <laughs> boom, boom. Boom, boom. We had to get that in, Bridget. But look, 30 games to go to end that 30-year quest. Let's start there because um, this is a the biggest margin of lead at this time of year in Premier League history. And unfortunately or fortunately for Liverpool fans, there's already that talk. Is this the year that they can hold that? What can they learn from years past? Uh, Jake Rosengarten, the young digital journalist we have here on Sunday morning writing about Sadio Mane's penalty, he said that penalty was a twist in the title race. And everyone commented saying, well, how can it be the twist? Liverpool won at status quo. He said because he eloquently put that that's thrown the gauntlet back at Manchester City. It's that. And now we saw that unfold the next day, a pivotal 24 hours. But what... 
if if you put yourself in a Liverpool fan's shoes right now, I know that's a that's a scary thought. Why are you more confident that right now this eight point lead is something not to fear but to embrace? Because Paolo has just nailed it. They are not firing on, on all cylinders and yet they are finding a way to win. And yeah, if even if it's a penalty decision late on, which I didn't feel was a penalty, um in that moment, but Milner stepped up in the last minute of that game. A lot of players would have crumbled under the pressure. He didn't, and they found a way to win. And it's a scary thought when they are not firing on all cylinders that they are getting the results and how far clear they are at this moment in time. Yes, they've still got to play City, but I believe that this year, the way they are going, they're learning. Year on year, they're getting better and better. It was one point last year. I think they're going to be in, in this year. So, Paolo, do you see that then as a fear in the, in the, for all the rivals going, well, they've they're on a run almost on the cusp of uh, Manchester City's record of 18 consecutive Premier League wins? Or do you look at it as a Liverpool fan and go, oh, maybe our defence isn't as solid as last year or relying on the front three? Which, way do you, which, which lens do you look at it through? Well, you just mentioned rivals. There's only one rival to Liverpool this season, and that's Man City. The rest, yeah, they'll have, you know, their good moments and bad moments, um, performances, results, etc., etc. But... Realistically, when I look at uh, those top two, there's no one outside it. If you're a Liverpool supporter at this stage of the year, Bridgie, you probably didn't expect to be eight points in front, but you'd be loving it, wouldn't you? Because so early on, it just will just build pressure. Pressure, pressure, pressure. I don't think Man City will like that feeling right now at this part of the season. What what was the points difference between the two teams last time they met each other? Uh, I don't know what it was when they met, but Liverpool had a seven-point lead that was hauled back. That was so. hauled back to the four points. So obviously they've got each other. Liverpool have got Man United, Spurs, Villa, and then they've got Man City. And that's going to be a huge, huge game. They get a point out of that game. The title's theirs. I think if they get the... I'm telling you, I think if they get beat uh, and they lose the three points, City again, they just put that little I, thing up. But I, I think I, they've done it. I think when there's such a big gap, as in eight points, what becomes very, very important is when you actually confront each other. It's like grand final. Well, yeah, because if you if you don't win, which would have happened to City last, last season, uh, yeah, you can't uh, reduce that gap and... and Again, mentally, that just builds pressure and very tough to deal with. I'll tell you what, so is there any uh, weakness you can put? I actually asked Emil Heskey, who played for Leicester and Liverpool, I asked him before the weekend, can you see uh, any area of concern or vulnerability? Where can anyone expose Liverpool? And, and, and he actually said it's probably going to come down to a, a fixture like the derby last year against Everton or something like that. And then you look at the last two weeks, Sheffield United, so fortunate but found a way even Salzburg found a way on the weekend found a way can you poke a hole that any that Manchester City can look at and go oh there's still there's still light there's, there's two things it's that game against Everton like you say the derby when that comes into effect the game against Manchester City whether they can get the result there or the point but the squad depth between the two clubs it always comes out that Man City have an incredible amount of players that they can fulfill positions if Liverpool God forbid, don't like wishing injuries on anybody. Lose your Salah, your Mane, your Firmino, or lose a couple of them at one stage um, throughout the season, or a long-term injury, they they may struggle. The only saving grace would they would have January to recruit somebody. Uh, apart from that, I can't, can't see anybody touching them. Okay, so 
Ryan back to 2014. And how about this from Pep Guardiola? You talk about pressure, Paolo. He said, league titles are won in the last eight games, but they are lost in the first eight. Two or three points behind. Four at the most is all any team can afford at the end of the first eight games. You spoke about squad depth, Bridgie, but right now, I can't believe I'm saying this, are we finding that's a problem for Pep Guardiola at City? Yeah, it's a, it's a massive problem. And it's not only the pressure of already being behind Bridgie, by eight points so early on in the season, but also the pressure on Guardiola winning the Champions League with Man City. So how does he prioritise this now uh, with resting players? And we know that City players play up to 60 to 70 games. They're all involved in European competitions, cup competitions, and also uh, internationally with their respective countries. For Pep Guardiola now, when he looks at the, the coming fixture list, certainly in the, in the Premiership, Will he rest players to prepare them for the Champions League game and prioritise that over the championship when... Well, I think from himself, he wants to win the... He would love to win both, obviously, but the interview he did a few weeks ago when he was, you know, can the fans please come and help us get through this Champions League fixture? That is not Pep Guardiola. That's the club. The club want the Champions League. That's why he was brought in. And uh, yeah, I think I think he might be have his his vision on that now, along with the club. Um, yeah, you want to win the Premier League, but when you are so far behind, there's always, always a chance that you're going to rein that in, like they kind of did when it was seven points. But this season, I can't see them doing it. I think the Champions League is is the one that they will be going for. Definitely, what the club want because I I didn't like what Pep had to say. I thought it was sad that he had to come out and say that to get people to come to the games. Interesting. Well, Wolves have turned their season around, and that was an extraordinary win. Uh, their snatch and grab. Wolves of old, being able to just suffocate the life out of a team and then hit them on the sucker punch. Adama Traore, absolutely outstanding. But um, it, it is phenomenal that a club with City's riches, Kevin De Bruyne, missed badly on the weekend. But the central defenders, that if you look at poking holes, uh, you can poke a lot of holes in City's lineup at the moment. Otamendi and Fernandinho, particularly with Rodri having to throw the deep end in central midfield, um, they can be got at. Yeah, look, when you play a, 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 a holding midfielder, number six, like uh, Fernandinho as a central defender, if you have to do it short term, it's probably okay. It's doable. But if it's uh, a, a large chunk of games, a big part of the season where you have a, a central midfielder, a holding midfielder playing as, as a central defender in key games... Uh, can be a problem. And, uh, you know, Otamendi, his defending for the first goal was absolutely terrible. And I'd expect a lot more from an international player and experienced defender. There were Man City players that were coming to give him support. He didn't need to commit himself into the challenge because it could have been a red card if he fouled him. If the player gets past him, he's one-on-one with the keeper. And... The last thing you want to do is commit yourself, certainly when you've got your own teammates chasing back and, and, and supporting you. So that was a real key moment in the game where, um, yeah, Wolves have still got to go on and, and finish the goal. And, a, and an absolutely top-class finish from, from uh, Traore. But yeah, from Man City's perspective, a terrible goal to give away. And I do look at the back line of City with that Fernandinho and Otamendi. And I think me and Paolo will be able to give them a good race for their money because they, they do lack pace. And when you've got <laughs> something like a Dormitriori going at you with that kind of pace, they played a very high line for them goals as well. So it was a bit of, I think it was a bit of naivety there. And like Paolo says, when I was playing with their under manager, Peter Reid, 
He had an assistant manager called Bobby Saxton. He was saying it's ball or man or both. You never let one of them, pa- never let both go past you. And hey, that's exactly what Art Mendy did. Hang on, would a Damatrari lap you though? Oh, mate, he could go <laughs> past me. I think he'd do a triple, wouldn't he? he that is pace to burn. But it's a worrying sign for City when you're playing Finandini alongside yeah. Art Mendy. Did you have to drop back much of centre defence in your career? And what was that? A, can you talk us through the challenge that Fernandinho has to adapt to? Yeah, look, I think if you're a if you're a central defender and you've got to step in and play as a six, it's a lot easier to adjust and feel more comfortable as opposed to it being the other way. Which look, Fernandinho has shown that he can play in that position, um, but when you need to defend. Uh, a counter-attacker, when there's space behind you, then it becomes a bit tricky if you're not uh, if you're not a specialised central defender. If you're not exposed to those um, situations uh, every week, it becomes a bit of an issue. And, and, and sadly for, for Man City, I don't think Pep has anyone else that he can, he can play in there other than Fernandinho. Fascinating. It's, a, it's an amazing challenge and amazing to think the City are in a position where we're talking about holes in their roster. So watch this space. Now, we touched earlier on your highlight being Newcastle United's win against Manchester United, which almost is unfa- the unfathomable part about that is that it's not such a shock. And You're right. I even told at the weekend when Mel was saying, you know, they're going to get a result. It's a tough place to go. Uh, in Newcastle, like I say, the fans weren't there. They didn't turn out. It wasn't wasn't a packed house, but it was. They were behind the team, and to have two young northeast boys playing in that central midfield, they would have spread the enthusiasm and what it meant to to get one over Manchester United, and they were they were there for the taking. That's the thing. Oh, that is a scary thought. I think the last good result there was a five-one win for Newcastle United uh, many years ago, uh, and the whole city is just. R- Oh, relishing it, and I've just had to translate. Did you love that interview, didn't interview. you, Paolo? Paolo didn't have a clue what was going on. <laughs> it's great to see something so raw and honest and and, and uh, just the exuberance of living your dreams. But on the other hand, you got the nightmares. We touched on Manchester United through Manchester United against Arsenal last week. There's actually not that much more to say. Except the thing that I think sums it up for me is that uh, when you put the ladder together from the start of last season to now, you take out the teams that have come up and down so it's just the Premier League teams they are in the bottom three on the table of those teams over the last two seasons it just is a galling reflection of of where they are flashback we spoke to Mark Schwarzer before the season about uh, Manchester United's prospects and this is what he had to say in our preview podcast Uh, you didn't think Oli would make it till Christmas has anything changed your uh, skepticism I still stand by it. I, I don't think he'll last to Christmas. I, I, I just don't think he's got the big enough personality and and uh, and experience really to deal with these types of players. Uh, you know, that that's the biggest challenge for Manchester United. 14 points from 15 games since the start of April. For a bit of context, Liverpool have 42. Do you think Schwartz's predictions going to come true? I'm just happy that Swartz's got a prediction right, possibly for the first <laughs> time in three years working with Optus. I'm not going to remind him of that, but yeah, he called it. He called it early doors. And I think it's we're, we're potentially going to see that because I've just watched his interview after the game and I want to hear what Paolo has to think about this. He was talking about having a lack of chances and he was saying, well, we've had a lot of strikers and a lot of attacking players out. And I'm th- looking at the team sheet thinking... 
I can only tell you to see one out there, Martial, and or Pogba. He's not an attacking player. So, what do you make of that? Yeah, he probably uh, forgot that Lukaku's at Inter Milan at the moment, and uh, he agreed to sell him. But uh, you're spot on there. Uh, they're just not creating chances, not scoring goals. And for a Man United team, when you think of Man United, for me, that's the first thing that comes to my mind, is that Man United score goals at home, away from home. That's the type of football they play. Uh, and at the moment, uh, we're not seeing that. And uh, their form away from home is a big worry. They haven't won since March. Uh, again, another loss on the weekend. They have uh, Liverpool up uh, next game. And then they have two very difficult away fixtures at Norwich. And we've seen how difficult that is. We saw what happened with Man City. Uh, and Bournemouth also away. And Bournemouth... Uh, at this stage of the season, is one of the uh, form teams uh, in in uh, in the Premiership. So it ain't gonna get any easier yeah. for Oli Gunnar. Do you, do you have any sympathy for him, Bridgie? Obviously, he took on a job that uh, we know that there's problems at United far beyond the managerial role. Um, do you have any sympathy for him, or do you feel like things like Lukaku, uh, his language in the media, which even uh, Robin van Persie had a crack at his post-game comments on the on the weekend, saying? what are you actually saying now that the players need to get their minds back on it? Um, or do you think he's as culpable as anyone right now? I, I feel sorry for him to an extent because he, he came in when the club, you know, you're not going to turn the opportunity down. He's an ex-player coming back like Lampard has done at Chelsea. And he came and he tried to steady the ship by getting some of this backroom staff on board, the tea lady, because Mourinho had really isolated them, become non-existent. He'd done that, but that's not his job. His job is to get Man United results and get them back to winning ways and he hasn't done that now there's something in his characteristics that Swartz said there he hasn't got that strong personality and I think you're seeing that now when things are going well people have that personality it's good when things aren't going against you and you haven't kind of got that charismatic approach or you haven't been in that situation before a big club like that to handle this kind I think he the last interview I saw was the first time I'd really see him having a sweat, a panic up, there was a, you need a glass of water, though you got that dry throat on numerous occasions, you could tell. And players, we, as players, you smell that, you see that interview and you're kind of going, I might have lost a bit of faith in, in this man. And that's, that's where I f- don't feel sorry for him because that's when your moment to grasp that and get the players back on board. Do they stick with him? Because at the point now, it's like, do you do it just because you need that change for what Bridgie just mentioned? Or is it like, well, we, we decided we were going to give him the long-term contract. We've chopped and changed for managers so far. We can get out of him. I'm, this might sound ridiculous, but when momentum is going against you, you can't put relegation and Manchester United in the same sentence. It sounds absurd. But is that why you would sack him? To stop a slide towards that conversation? Well, it's not looking good at the moment, is it? Two points above uh, the third last team on on seven points. Uh, uh, What I do find a bit strange is that uh, at numerous times in uh, press conferences or in interviews, he has mentioned the word rebuild. Uh, But at the start of the season, uh, I'm not sure who came out and said it, but it was said that Manchester United uh, is not rebuilt. Manchester United... Mm. Wants to win or must win. We are Manchester United. We, are, we yeah. are Manchester United. But if I look at... You can't rebuild from the championship. <laughs> no. And whilst I don't think that that's where they'll end up, uh, but certainly they can't have a season where uh, they are constantly under scrutiny 
or Oli Gunner uh, is after matches having to come in and explain why Man United aren't aren't winning football games. It comes to a point where they will have to uh, you know make the, make the hard decision. But but I think that Man United doesn't have the squad to meet the expectations of us, of fans, of supporters everywhere. Um, when when you look at at their team, and and that was always going to be an issue for them, not having any Champions League football. Um, were they going to be able to bring in those world class players to get Man United back to, you know, challenging Liverpool and Man City? I mean, as as a coach, since I've gone from playing and become a coach, you set yourself targets throughout the season. It'd be interesting, though, like with Paulo as well. And if Man United and Nani Goldschalshaw had seen the next five fixtures with Liverpool, Norwich, Bournemouth, Brighton, Sheffield United, I would have penciled in. 12 points there, and I would have said the Liverpool game, we would have gone. But there, there's 12 points definitely there, possibly a draw with Liverpool. Now I'm looking at that as only going to Solskjaer, and I'm thinking, hang on a minute, we, we might just get three to six tops out of the, these fixtures. This is a big five-game spell for Solskjaer and Manchester United because at the start, yeah, like I say, you're looking at that you could write one game off. I can see them not getting a result. Liverpool not getting a result at Norwich. Bournemouth potentially a point, and then you're going in against Brighton on the day can perform they're playing a lovely style of football and Sheffield United hard to break down you can't score United you and you're playing a team I'll tell you what I'd be I'd be worried three, three away games in there tough places to go and you haven't won since March Ollie, all the best <laughs> Sheffield United and Brighton you mentioned well that's United's level on the table at the moment let's wrap that up Schwartz are you going to be right or wrong right right Good luck. Capital R. Good luck, Manchester United fans. Look, if they're going to drop out of this top four, top six, uh, and there's a lot of turbulence in there, we've got Leicester, Palace, Burnley, West Ham, Bournemouth. They've all started fabulously well for their expectations. Um, a word on who is most likely to cash in on a, on a potential Manchester United absence from a, from a top five or top six? I think Leicester City, even a Crystal Palace, who is doing you know, extremely well given... Sort of, yeah. You know, at the start of the season, no one would have even thought that they would be in the, in the in that position. Let alone that they don't have the squad uh, to be able, I think, to continue to compete in there. But yeah, interesting. Chelsea, a couple of good results. They might, you know, manage mm. to, to to get back up. Um, and of course, West Ham, who um, they sort of, for me, they're the the, the silent achievers. Mm. Underappreciated. Yeah. What Manuel Pellegrini's done there, right? At the moment, he's doing a fantastic job. I st- I've enjoyed watching West Ham play. Um, this season, along with Leicester, uh, Palace, I feel have just been scraping through, getting getting the results. I still haven't really embraced the wh- how they are there, <laughs> to be honest with you. But they've got a massive um, opportunity if they can get results. You know, Man City, Arsenal, Chelsea, and Liverpool to play, and Leicester, all teams in and around them. So Palace could be in a pretty position, or they could completely <laughs> fall down <laughs> yeah. to the bottom half. Uh, West Ham have got a good run of games, as have Leicester. Uh, I'm going to say that the Chelsea will break into that, in the top four, uh, with, with Arsenal. But if anybody can, I would say Leicester as well, because Rodgers has got them playing superb. OK, so uh, as we head into the international break and we talk about all these uh, permutations and ladder positions, who have been the biggest contributors, Bridget? We haven't done a top five for a, li- a little while, but looking through... You love this because you know how much... Can I say crap? Or <laughs> how much I get abused on social media when I put these out there? You had thousands of friends over I, a couple I did, of months. But I had thousands, thousands of, likes. of people going, are you a nugget? 
So come on then, what we got this week? <laughs> Who are the most influential or informed players so far this season? Well, I'm probably going to get abused off Paolo here because I think there's somebody that I am not going to mention in my top five here. Um, but I'm going to say, do you, do you want them in an order or do you just want me to put five I'd players I'd love an order. An order. Well, I'm going to say reverse number five, Aubameyang. Seven goals this season for Arsenal. He's continued where he left off last season. He's breaking Thierry Henry's records. Um, at this moment in time now that that speaks volumes and yeah I, I really like the way this guy just finds the back of the net so he's in there he's been magnificent number four another striker but this time I've gone for Barnes of Burnley he's got four goals so far this season and he's playing up front with a guy Chris Wood he's got three goals uh, I love what Burnley are doing they've got they know they've got two big strikers they're not trying to walk things in the net every opportunity. They are crossing balls into the box. And Barnes has been absolutely superb this season with his movement. Number three, a fullback. And it's a Liverpool player. It's Trent Alexander-Arnold. Uh, magnificent. I love the work rate, the energy levels, the crosses, the set players that he is able to deliver from wide areas and the goal we saw against Chelsea. Quality. He, he just got a quality right foot. And this weekend, I think it was the Nutmegs, Paolo, on the, against... The player when they almost scored, that was just magnificent. R- right backs aren't yeah. allowed to be doing that. And they shouldn't be doing original. that. Gary Neville never did that. <laughs> Gary, He wouldn't see Gary Neville or Jamie Carragher doing stuff like that. He's got something special, this boy. Number two, an Englishman that I thought at the start of the season was going to struggle because he missed a penalty in a big match uh, and cost Chelsea. Lampard stuck by him. And I remember when Lampard was getting a lot of stick when he was playing for West Ham and Harry Redknapp stuck up for him and said, this lad's going to go right the way at the top. This is almost... <laughs> history repeating. History repeating itself. Lampard's been in that situation before. He says, I'm not going to break this lad. I'm going to give him the opportunity. He's gone out there and Tammy Abraham has got eight goals this season, 26 shots already, uh, and just looking a great, great player. And hopefully goes on to continue to, to push because he's an English English striker. But the standout and the one performer, he's a midfielder. Manchester City have shown what they can do with him and they've shown what they can't do without him and that's Kevin De Bruyne. Eight assists already this season, leading the charts. The passes and the distribution that he has shown have just been mind-boggling. He, he takes a picture, he looks into the area or he looks up front, he sees that picture, it's mindset, the ball comes when he knows exactly what he wants to do with it. Just a great player. And look what happened without him this weekend. Mm, major exceptions there, Paolo? Look, uh, some great selections by Bridgie. No surprise. Um, Bridgie's always on the money. Probably only one player, Mason Mount, um, who I think, and, and it'd be interesting to see, uh, get your thoughts, looks like being uh, the new Frank Lampard for, for Chelsea. Uh, eight appearances already this season, four goals, Um uh, very, very similar in terms of the way he scores goals to to Frank Lampard, I think. But for me, the most impressive thing is he's still only 20 years of age, which um, you know, England has uh, a, a new generation of, of young players um, at a really high level. And uh, if you're the English manager, um, what you're seeing right now is uh, refreshing. And for Chelsea fans... Um, Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Player who's come through their, their, their youth um, academy, now playing in the first team and being, uh, you know, a real decisive player for their football club. You know what the best thing is about this, Paolo? Frank's getting all the reviews and the the rave uh, mentions saying he's given these lads an opportunity. He's got Jordy Morris, who he took from the Chelsea youth team set up that had been winning a lot of things. Jordy knows the academy inside out. And, you know, taking them away from Derby, they were able to capitalise on that. They've gone back. They've they've upgraded some of the youth teams who come alongside. I think when Frank got the job, I got off the job. That was part of the selling point. He said, "What well, you guys don't understand what is in that system below you and the board of directors. The lads have seen them day in, day out. They can perform and do it. So it's not just Lampard. It's the whole team that Chelsea have managed to embrace and take these lads on, a bit like what the 92 of Manchester United did. Oh, that's a nice comparison. And if you get out to Southgate, as you say, Pella, very, very handy, and that's been reflected in his selections in the England squad. Yeah, well, what, uh, yeah, what the, the transfer ban has done to Chelsea is it's forced them... Um, you know, the fact that they can't go out and, and buy someone for 40 million euros um, is that they have to look into their youth academy. So this um, could be a blessing in disguise because it means that a lot of other young, talented players um, could get an opportunity throughout the season. Rightio, then give us an answer. If you were Maurizio Pochettino, you would... Wait until the transfer window opens and then... Whoever doesn't want to be there, get rid of. Do you think that's also an important time, if you can last that long, to say, Mr. Chairman, are you really going to help me out here or is this going to really show whether you're you're with me or or, or I'm swimming against the tide? Well, I'm sure Bridgie will agree with me. Mauricio Pochettino, in, in three or four months, can't have gone from the hero, one of the best managers in the world, where nearly every club or... Um, uh, clubs that were looking for, for a new coach wanted him or his name was um, speculated, that all of a sudden now he's not the right coach or the right manager or the right person to continue to lead Tottenham Hotspurs. And uh, I don't understand football then. To do with It's got to do with some of the contracts and how the players have let theirs run out. Some have been given you five and six-year deals. I think there's still a little, a little bit going on behind the scenes where they, they want to get away. And I'm pleased you said that, Paolo, because... That answer's given me a little bit of hope because my response to that was going to be if I w- would walk away and say thank you very much for the amazing times. And that was me, as a fan, throwing in the white towel there and saying it's over, it's done, it's, he's got to go. But you've given us a little bit of hope there. But I know in January that that man, Levy, will not give him the money to go and get players in from the players that they are going to leave. And that's that's the sad irony of it. I know the 7-2 midweek was unfathomable, and I know Bayern were almost perfect. So you go, okay, well, maybe, even though it's crazy, that, that could be a just a really, really unfortunate night. Since then, Brighton. Yeah. Oh, played off the park by Brighton. Yeah. At what point there do you go, as you said, Paolo, this is a guy who's done miracle work for, for, for Tottenham over these years. At this point, do you go... You know, we've been waiting for proof. We've been waiting for proof. It's not all sweet there. I didn't want to look like it was a, you know, waving the, the Tottenham flag. So I asked Mark Swarter and Jules Breach, I said, where did Tottenham go after this match when the 7-2 defeat? And Jules started laughing and said, well, they've got Brighton at the weekend, Bridget, they'll bounce back straight away. They didn't. 
and they did it. It's all right if you can't compete football-wise because teams are playing at times, but work rate, work rate, and putting in the energy levels, they looked in absolute disarray. That for me, when some of the players down tools like that in the way that they did, and I've never seen it from some of the players, I was I was shell shocked. And as a as a coaching head, I'm thinking, oh, like Paulo says, you've got to get rid of some of them or, mm. or give them a right good kick on the backside. It's amazing. It's a, have you, if you've been in a situation as a player where the magic dust of a coach's messaging just just runs out, is that could that possibly be what's happening here? I don't think so. Um, I just think that uh, when, as the chairman of, of Tottenham or the owner or the person that makes decisions, there's either you can either do one or two. You back the manager or you, you sack him. Backing the manager means you make the hard decisions to get rid of players. Then you, need, you need to bring you know, players in, obviously. Or I think it's an easy, easy decision for the chairman, just to sack the manager. But it's not because it's a £32 million payout if they do, compensation for, for him. And they've, you know, they've still got the, the debt of the stadium going that much amount over budget. I think it was up the 200 300 million yeah, mark. Sure. Uh, that's still a massive thing that Levy's got to try and, and tidy up there as well. Interesting times. Just when you've got that magnificent stadium, you do not want to be dropping out of that top tier. But uh, 17 losses in all competitions in 2019. No team in England in the Premier League has lost as many. Another manager under fire. Everton's biggest problem is... They also can't score goals. A bit like Man United. Um, and uh, everyone thought that Moses Keane was going to be uh, that player that was going to... Um uh, be the player to to to, to score goals uh, cost twenty seven and a half uh, million euros and for me it was not maybe not a surprise signing in terms of you know he's a young player with a lot of a uh, lot of potential but I've, I think too young nineteen years old to hedge uh, all uh, the pressure on to, uh, to 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 score your goals so um, you know they finished eighth last season in the Premiership. I think three points out of a Europa League spot behind Wolves. Uh, but where they're sitting at the moment, Bridgie, is not where Evertonians uh, expected to be or um, want to be, given the fact also that their local town rivals mm. are absolutely smashing it. <laughs> Flying. And I, I, I agree with Paolo, it's the corn score goals because defensively, you know, Pickford in goal, very good goalkeeper. Keane, uh, Mina, Dinia, the left back, he's a fantasy player's dream. He gets the goals. Coleman got a red card, didn't help them. And Delph has come in from Man City. He's given them that security and then got himself back into the England setup. But going forward, they just missed out on getting a top class striker because Sigurdsson, the number 10, is, you know, he's always going to create your chances. Awobi's gone there. Calvin Lewis, I just feel that there is something missing in that final third. And I don't know what it is, but defensively, from set players have looked poor as well. And, you know, only six six goals scored so far this season is not good enough for any team. He's going to be feeling the pressure. And um, there's only (laughs) every week, I love it, because Sam Allardyce just keeps coming (laughs) out, the ex-manager, and he just keeps poking the fire and stirring it all up to get it blazing again. (laughs) Because he still feels hard done by for when he left. I I think also, um, when you're a club like Everton uh, and you're coming up against the top four or five teams, it's almost acceptable that you don't win those games. Uh, but when you lose away 0-2 at, uh, or 2-0 against Sheffield United, you lose away to Bournemouth, 
they're the teams that you should be beating. And I think the fact that he hasn't, uh, Marcus Silva hasn't managed to do that, um, will not give too much confidence mm. uh, to uh, the people that make those uh, tough decisions. No, 17th, four losses in a row. They spent a squillion dollars in the off-season. It's a very expensive squad to be sitting where they are. Um, speaking of those teams, West Ham's next. That's where they should be. So we'll get a really good glimpse of them when they return uh, to the stage after the international break. If Juventus are not toppled this year, then what? They're just going to continue to win Serie A title after title. Um, just too good. And uh, I was just uh, mentioning to Bridgie before, they are, for me, one of the the best teams in the world to get it right on the field, but also off the field. Um, and that makes a, a successful football team when you can bring both of those two things together um, and you have some talented players, a good coach, uh, you're going you're gonna to continue to win. It also means I can wear this UV jersey for another season. Well, I was about to say, they wanted to become more fashionable this year, but now looking at that on you, Bridgie, I'm, I'm sure they've got a bit of work to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's harsh, but very true. But I'll tell you what, if Inter Milan had a one at the weekend, I would have wore the Inter one. <laughs> I mean, Paolo, they've already beaten Napoli in, in Inter this year. Two very different but very compelling games. Um and uh, everyone thought that maybe the teething problems Mauricio Sarri might have might be the window of opportunity for Ancelotti and Conte. Oh, I mean, if, if they can't cash in now, it looks like a, it, that's a sign of how big the road back is, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, look, I wouldn't write off Inter just yet. Uh, that was their first uh, uh, loss of the season, and admittedly, that was against Juventus. Um, so no, no embarrassment in that, even though... They had a hell of a game. Yeah, even though uh, Conte, that was the game that you know he would have been, you know, he want, wanted to win the, uh, the most. Um, but for Juventus, yeah, they uh, they're just getting stronger and and, and stronger. And uh, uh, thankfully, um, we have Inter in this uh, Serie A uh, title race because otherwise it it, it you know, would probably already be over, um, which is sad. By the way, how about Paolo Dybala and Gonzalo Higuain? Weren't wanted supposedly three months ago. Uh, the two match winners on the weekend. We spoke about on scores on Sunday. Sari balancing that galaxy of egos. I'm not sure I would have expected him to have been getting the match-winning performances out of those guys. So fair play to that. And seeing Higuain compared to last season, looking leaner. Uh, I thought he was carrying a lot of timber, um, like myself. Um, but he looks leaner and he looks like he's got a new desire and a drive. And that, that's only good for Juve in the way that Sorry's been able to handle that. What about rumours of Antoine Griezmann being offloaded to PSG already are? I'll jump in here. BS. That equals bleep bleep bullshit. <laughs> you can edit that out. Yeah, I think it's absolute rubbish. I cannot... The only... Thing I think the journals are looking into this is the fact that he came out and did an interview saying Messi is quiet. We haven't really hit it off. Now, if you don't get on with Messi at Barcelona, you could the writing could be on the wall, but not when they've just signed him for the amount of money. The performances he's putting in at this moment in time as well, I just think it's it's ludicrous. And I don't think he would want to go to PSG himself because look, look what's happened to many a man that's gone there. Yeah, look, <clears throat> I'm not... Too sure. Um, I think there could be something in this. Smoke and fire here? Well, look, it, it's not only about Griezmann maybe being offloaded to PSG. It's also, I think, Neymar is involved in the deal. So Griezmann, obviously, one way, and Neymar the other way. And we all know 
what Messi wanted. Messi wanted Neymar, Neymar back. Um, and strange that Griezmann did come out and say that. Um, um, maybe a little bit of naivety, naivety on his parts or chose the wrong words. Certainly not. I don't think it was a smart move to, to say that, given the fact that uh, we've all seen how, a, how difficult a start it has been for him. I mean, he's a world-class player, wonderful player, but... So far in these opening, excuse me, opening matches, he hasn't delivered. Interesting. I reckon watch this space, particularly if the form simmers along, but normal business has resumed in Spain, so to speak, on the table. So uh, these journos in there in Spain, they love to pick up an angle uh, for wherever their allegiances lie. The A-League will be won by. I'm going to go for Sydney FC. I'm going to say Steve Corrick will get it right again and haven't seen them couple of times this season I've liked the way they have played um, but there's one man that has really stood out for me in that midfield Luke Bratton um, he's looking back to what I remember thinking this lad could go a hell of a long way and I think he in that midfield could give them they've, they've lost um, Brilliante. Brilliante to City that was going to be hard to get in and Bratton is looking the player so I'm going to say Stevie Corica can go and do it again yeah I'll have to agree purely based on the fact that uh yeah, the, the stability of the team. Um, the spine has more or less stayed the same. Brillante out, Bratton in, you know, a very, very experienced player. And uh, um, yeah, I'm a big fan of his. So I think that the less disruptions you can have uh, to your team, certainly um, in the A-League, uh, it does help. So Sydney again. They've got a little unsung hero as well working for them now behind, well, not behind the scenes, assistant Rob Stanton. Um, having been a pro diploma with Rob and seeing how he operates and what he does, he's a very strong-minded character, but he's a very professional. And the, the in-depth stuff that he goes into, um, I've got to give him massive credit. He's, I think he's been helping Stevie Bimby for uh, behind the scenes very, very well. Oh, here's a good yarn. Barcelona, Barcelona, Barcelona are releasing a documentary in November. Uh, I'm sure they hadn't planned this when they thought of commissioning it because it includes... Behind-the-scenes footage of their just agreement loss after losing to Liverpool in the Champions League. If there was a behind-the-scenes footage of a loss for you guys you wouldn't want out there in the public, uh, which one would it be? Yeah, probably not for anything other than uh, just how big uh, the disappointment was. And it was back in uh, 1997 when uh, we failed to qualify against Iran um, for the 1998 World Cup where uh, I think everyone knows Australia was in front 2-0 or we were in front 2-0 with about 10 to 15 minutes to go and, and, and ended up drawing the game and, and didn't qualify. It was the quietest dressing room for at least an hour after the game that I'd ever um, sort of been in. And, uh, yeah, terrible feeling um, because uh, we were so close and yet so far once again. Can you describe disbelief? Like, what does disbelief actually feel or look like? Yeah, it was it, it was disbelief because no one, everyone just had their head down. So no one was, like, looking at each other because no one could actually believe the position that we were in and within 10 to 15 minutes it had all, you know, disappeared. And uh, um, thankfully enough, that uh, heartache and disappointment was uh, eventually um, turned to joy. I was when, say, was it, when our own Johnny Aloisi scored the winning penalty. <laughs> In that dressing room, Paul, was it just complete silence or was there anybody that actually tried to galvanise or get people be- upbeat or was it just total, total sadness? Yeah, upbeat because there was nothing that could be said, Bridgie. Yeah. 
you know, when you're so close and, and, and you'd have, you know, waited, well, the whole country had waited so long for that moment. Um, and it was, it was almost like, uh, you know, a, a carnival atmosphere because uh, it, was, it was comfortable. You know, Australia was, was cruising, cruising to victory, cruising to, uh, to France 98. And then within a short space of time, you know, one goal you concede, the second goal you concede, and then that dream has just been taken away from you. There's, there's really nothing that you can say. Well, the situation I was looking back on was a, a moment when I was at Newcastle United and we played Portsmouth. We had a player called Oberfemi Martins, went on loan to Portsmouth and I'd come in on loan to Newcastle when, I, when I'd gone from Leeds. And for some unbeknown reason, Oberfemi Martins was allowed to play against the club that he was out on loan to. Normally that is not in the contract. Normally the club that loaned you out is not allowed to let you play against that club. And guess who went and scored the winning goal? Oberfemi Martin scored. And we were down, I'll never forget, walking into the dressing room. Bobby Robson was the manager. I never saw, I mean, he's not here anymore, God forbid, rest in peace, Gary Speed, lose it. And Gary Speed went absolutely ballistic. There was drinks flying everywhere. He kicked the physio's table over. He was having to go at Bobby Robson. Not on a horrible way at Bobby, but saying, how was this allowed? How would Freddie Shepard the owner of this football club, allow Nova Femi to play against, and it was just an unbelievably hostile atmosphere when it all kicked off in there, and then everybody else started joining in, and, you know, a lot of the players wanted to go in and actually see the owner to say, what, why the hell is this being allowed to happen? And coincidentally, them two points probably cost Bobby Robson at the end of the season when, you know, the semi-final of the Europe, um, what was it then, the UEFA Cup then, um, there was a few points off getting the Champions League spot um, for Newcastle, so he was... Um, it came back to horn Bobby and the club. So let's change the pace a little bit. Let's go into Salzburg's dressing room at half-time against Liverpool. Come, Jungs. So feel respect for the Gegner. So feel respect for the Gegner. Yeah, it's just mit dem Ball, gegen dem Ball, and mit Fouls. So feel respect. How good was that? What accent does he actually speak with naturally? <laughs> and can you take us, can we have a change of pace and go to the best rev-up you ever were part of? Well, a very similar in accents that Peter Reid goes from his English into his scouse um, when he was a Sunderland manager. And there's a documentary, you can get it on YouTube, it's called Premier Passions. It was a camera crew following us round back in the 96, 97 or 97, 98 season, I can't remember, but behind the scenes footage of Peter Reid's half-time team talks, you've got to see it to believe it. He could either make us go out and get a result against a, an Arsenal or a Manchester United, or we could completely capitulate in fear because of the yeah. mannerisms of the swear words that this man possessed. And I think the, the highlight was, I mean, I was 17 and he's, he's screaming at you, he's telling you how shit you are, he's telling you how bad you've played, get out there and redeem yourself. And I remember my, my mother actually wanted to, at the end of the year when the documentary came out, she wanted to go in and have a word with Peter <laughs> Reid about his language to her son. And I was like, you don't do that. And it's there's a movie now called Mike Bassett, England Manager, when he's in the half-time team dressing room just swearing his head off for 30 seconds. That clip was done off the back of Peter Reid in this Premier Passions. So like I say, Peter Reid could rev us up in a good way, but it could also, if you couldn't handle it, <laughs> game over. It's a great clip. Did you like that going around, or do you think that sort of uh, dressing room sort of, Holier than now, shouldn't shouldn't be out in public. No, I don't. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I actually think uh, we're in the uh, the time of technology. Um, so the fact that uh, 
you know, the punters at home or supporters, you know, if it's every week, I think it gets a bit boring then. Yeah. Um, but certainly every now and then just to see a small clip or a few minutes of, uh, of something so in that inner sanctum, which there was nothing uh, tactical about it. It was just that uh, he wanted his players to man up against uh, the, the, you know, against Liverpool. And in the end... They nearly got the job done, job yeah. done, Bridget, didn't they? I loved it. Outsider looking in. Absolutely loved it. Just moving to something that's going to come up. We've got the International Week this week, so a rest for Premier League fans this weekend. But it means the Socceroos are in action uh, against Nepal on Thursday here in Australia in Canberra. Tuesday, Chinese Taipei got off to a good start uh, in the last qualifying game against Kuwait. Pella, what do you want to see in this double header of games where it's hard to judge with the opposition, um, but we want to see where Graham Arnold's side uh, are at yeah look uh, I'd be lying if I said that they're going to be two very difficult games for us um, but you know Arnie's mentioned uh, uh, that uh, it's a year now and uh, the players should be really familiar with the way he wants to play or you know with the wingers inside and fullbacks getting high you know, we, we saw that with Sydney FC um, it hasn't translated into goals uh, so that's probably something that uh, um, I'd be looking for, is that uh, even given the fact that the opposition aren't strong, is yeah, can we, can we start scoring uh, more goals, which is going to be important later on for us in, in the campaign when uh, the fixtures become harder. And uh, interesting selection of Mark Milligan's back in the squad. Trent Sainz is not playing a hell of a lot at Maccabi Haifa. Uh, Milos Degenek is obviously playing week in, week out in, in the Champions League with uh, Red Star Belgrade. Um, where does Milsey fit in? Is he central defensive? Is he number six again? Masluongo is out injured. Uh, so Dimitri Petratos has come in for him. Um, where does the skipper lie or in, in the equation here? Look, I think uh, Mark Milligan's uh, equally comfortable as a central defender um, or as a six. just depends on uh, where the manager or where Arnie thinks uh, that he's uh, most valuable. Um, you know, in that central area of, of midfield, we have a number of really good players. There's a lot of competition there. Uh, so with Trent missing in this first game, uh, I would think that uh, that's probably where uh, Milsey will fit in. And the goal secret, we want more goals. Um, good to see someone like Brandon Borello getting a Guernsey as well, Matthew Leckie. But uh, where do you see, where, where do you want to see that spark come from further up the field? Well, we, we have a few uh, options there. Um, you know, you've got, obviously, Jamie McLaren, um, who you know, is, a, is a goal scorer. He's one of the uh, few A-League players to be given an opportunity, given that uh, uh, the season still hasn't, hasn't started in, in the A-League. Um, so, yeah, it'll be important two games for him um, to, uh, um, you know, to, to start scoring goals. It's, we haven't since Tim Cahill. And I say since Tim Cale, it hasn't been, you know, a, a long time. Uh, but we haven't really um, found that number nine that's going to score us uh, 40 to 50 goals in, you know, 50 international games. Watch this space. Should, as you said, not have any trouble with these two fixtures. And we'll talk a little bit more next week about the Joeys who jet off to the... Uh World Cup in Brazil. They're in Chile as we speak, preparing for that tournament where they face Ecuador, Hungary and Nigeria. On Optus Sport over the next week, well, it is a, as they say, a, a smorgasbord of international football, uh, picking out one game for you a day over the dozens of games. You've got Friday, Netherlands, Northern Ireland. Uh, Saturday morning, 
England, Czech Republic, um, Iceland and France as well. Uh, Sunday, Denmark against Switzerland and Italy against Greece. Wouldn't it be uh, amazing if Italy sealed their spot at the Euros with a win over the Greeks? Wales and Croatia on Monday. Ukraine and Portugal on Tuesday. Sweden and Spain rounded out on the Wednesday. So lots and lots there for you. With some really interesting groups, the Group B is fascinating, where Ukraine are still top of the table ahead of the European champions Portugal, with Serbia lurking just behind. Germany's Group C, where they are on top at the moment, but they're level with Northern Ireland on 12 points, with Netherlands third. That remains a hotly contested group. Uh, Group E, with Croatia on top, with Slovakia and Hungary and Wales breathing down their neck, is well worth keeping an eye on. And uh, the other one is France. They've still got a bit to work on. They're level on top on 15 points with Turkey, but Iceland in that game I mentioned, they're only three points behind them as well. So lots and lots and lots to keep your eye on over the next week. What picks your interest, gents? I've got to say Ukraine taking on Portugal. Um, talk Shevchenko maybe the man yeah. to leave the Ukraine and go to AC Milan for managing. Um, this is a big, big game for them and uh, for them as well and for Portugal. This is, uh, this is the one that I've picked out. And also, France against Turkey. All, both sitting on the same amount of points. I think Turkey got the result last time. Is that correct? Testing my memory. Is that right? Yeah. 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 So they're, they're the two that I've picked out. But also, you didn't mention, I don't think it's going to be shown, but Belgium are playing San Marino. It's top three, bottom. Golf fest. I'm seeing 10 plus in that game. Oh, I'm sure it'll be showing. There's that many games on the Optusport app. It's uh, it's more than you can possibly handle. Uh, what about you, Paolo? Yeah, well, before the France-Turkey game, um, France have got a tricky away trip to Iceland, mm. who are very strong at home. But uh, um, nowadays, and I'm sure Bridgie in his Juventus jersey will be happy to hear <laughs> this, I, along 60 other million English supporters, uh, I look forward to watching England play. So they've got two... Um, tough games. They will qualify, but, you know, away trips to the Czech Republic and Bulgaria. Uh, but I would love to see Italy win and uh, lock up their position uh, in the next Euros. Back on the big stage where they rightfully think they belong. Gents, thank you very much for your time. Of course, if you want to see all those tables, all those fixtures and find where to watch those games, the Optusport app has them all there under the Internationals tab and there'll be plenty of preview material uh, on the app, written and video leading into the weekend. Again, boys, thanks for your time. Great to see you both. Thank you very much. Great stuff as always. And to everyone out there, thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening through and and until the next Gagan Pod, as ever, enjoy your football. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.